0: You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more.
1: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. On today's episode, we'll be discussing developing your niche in a crowded space and why E2 visas might be the best option for foreign entrepreneurs looking to invest in a U.S. business. Today's guest on Self-Made Strategies is Patrick Findaro, Business Development Director of Visa Franchise. That's visafranchise.com.
0: Hey, Patrick, how's it going? Hey, great, Tony. Thanks a lot for having me on.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for hosting. We're here in Miami on location at Visa Franchise. Beautiful space. I don't know how you do it with the great weather, especially in the (laughs) middle of the winter. It's good.
0: I mean, it's almost like every weekend, it's like a mini vacation, (laughs) recharge your
1: batteries and then we're we're all on. For for the week of work. Oh man, that's awesome! It's awesome! It's so gorgeous down here. It's uh, it's beautiful weather and a great opportunity to sit down with you, talk about all things um, E two visas, foreign entrepreneurs, what they should be thinking about, what they can do to invest in a business in the U S., how they can leverage that to then potentially get an opportunity to come move to the U S. Right and um, all of those things and why it's also beneficial to franchisors or other businesses that are thinking about bringing on a foreign investor, why it could be a good opportunity for them. And then toward the end of the episode, we'll get to hear some of the strategies you've applied to grow Visa Franchise so rapidly. Uh, You founded it in 2015, right?
0: Exactly. 2015 and then really got the the start in 2016 when my brother, uh, Jack Fandaro and co-founder of Visa Franchise joined uh, full time.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. So tell us about that. What made you think about starting Visa Franchise? How did you get started? And then how did you find your niche in such a crowded marketplace? Sure. So I
0: graduated Colby College tw- when I was 21 and I worked at a big company, a big bank, JP Morgan. Mm-hmm. And being part of a big organization, I just, I didn't really enjoy the, the I didn't enjoy being part of such a large, large organization. I felt like I couldn't make as big of an impact as being part of a smaller company. Um, so I, I moved on to two other companies, um, one being 80, 80 person emerging markets consulting firm, Mm -hmm. and then one being a startup private equity fund. And then we started Visa franchise. When I was at that startup fund, um, we were doing some work with the EB five visa and investments in real estate and franchising. And what happened was we were doing events in Latin America, principally in Brazil, and there were a lot of dual nationals, Brazilians that had second passports, could be Spain, Argentina, Italy. Mm -hmm. And these prospective clients informed me that there was something called the E2 treaty visa and that investing, say, $100,000, $150,000 in a U.S. business, they could obtain a visa. So it was these prospective clients telling me about this opportunity and asking for support. Uh, we didn't offer that type of support. And, and in Miami, I started talking to friends and learned that there were some realtors or business brokers that worked with E2 visa businesses. And I started investigating more and most of the businesses didn't make financial sense and th- they weren't a good fit for, uh, these prospective investors that needed more ongoing support. Right. Um, so my brother came from the franchising world. He worked for the parent company of Burger King, um, which now owns Popeye's and Tim Horton's. And we thought that franchising made the most sense for someone that didn't have US, especially that didn't have US business experience Mm -hmm. and needed to satisfy a job requirement where if you just create a consulting business, it might just be you. And the government's really looking for hiring Americans uh, with Trump's executive order, uh, buy American, hire American. Mm -hmm. um, These franchise investments really fit that
1: for entrepreneurs coming from other countries, foreign investors looking to invest in a business in the U.S. You mentioned the EB-5 visa option, which is a good option, say, for citizens from China, Vietnam, or India. But those EB-5s have caps. And now recently, the minimal investment has jumped up quite catastrophically to a minimum of $900,000, if I'm not mistaken. It jumped up to
0: 900000 in November of last year, November right. 2019. Right. It still is a great option for many people if you mm-hmm. have the time to wait and you're you want to have a U.S. green card, um, and you have the the mm-hmm. money to invest. It's a tr- terrific option. Right. However, many of our clients they want to move in in a month. They suffered a security instance in, in Latin America, and they're, they they might have been robbed at gunpoint, and they want to they want to leave. Right, they want right. to move their families or um there's a lot of other cases where it's more time sensitive so the E2 visa is a great bridge where many of our clients later on will will have an EB5 or another employment based uh, green card like EB3 or EB2 potentially mm-hmm. through the spouse um uh, but we, the E2 visa and it's always recommended to talk to an immigration attorney and consult with a licensed immigration attorney right tends to be the best option for most foreign entrepreneurs if they have um, a passport of a country that has a treaty and the BRICS don't Brazil, Russia, India, China, they don't have the E2 investor treaty, but there's about 80 different countries across the world, um, including all of Western Europe except Portugal, but right. Portugal might, hopefully will get it. Um,
1: yeah, I've got my fingers crossed. Exactly. on that one too, yeah.
0: So it, it's right now in the U S Senate and then it would need to be approved by the Portuguese government, but the Congress already passed the amigos act uh, late last year.
1: Great. Yeah. And you and I have actually worked on some of these cases together on E2s that is, and E2s can be a really good option for those who are either in a treaty country or can go and obtain a secondary citizenship from one of those countries, right?
0: Exactly. And we started our practice with clients that were from Brazil or another country in Latin America, like Venezuela, and they had European ancestry like us too. Mm-hmm. And they used that Italian passport, Spanish passport uh, to apply for the E2 visa. So whether it's through ancestry and acquiring a second nationality that way, through marriage or through citizenship by investment, um, there's different ways that you can obtain a, a second nationality. Right.
1: And so for those entrepreneurs who are considering investing now in a franchise, let's say you have... You know, you're from an E2 treaty country, you're thinking about coming to the US, so you're looking to do an investment. The minimum investment with an E2 is significantly lower with an EB-5, but the government doesn't really tell you what to invest in an E2 because it's kind of industry specific, right? Sure, it's 10% right. the amount of an EB-5. Right. We've had
0: clients approved for as little as 80000 90000 mm-hmm. That being said, you know, getting convincing a consulate officer that you your business, that you've only invested $80,000 dollars is a substantial investment and it's going to be marginal and it's going to have a great impact uh, for hiring Americans is a little harder than investing 250,000 where uh, it would tend to be a more robust business plan and outlook and a little easier with the consulate officer when you're in the interview.
1: Right, exactly. So, Now shifting back to that question I was starting to ask about franchising. So franchising can be a really good option because it's going to hit those minimal investment numbers pretty easily. And it's also a structured business. So if you're a foreign investor, a foreign entrepreneur looking to move to the U.S., it's kind of an easy way to to warm your way into a business, For
0: sure. Yeah, most of the franchisors that we worked with They, before they decided to start franchising, they they ran a business for five, 15 plus years. Right. And they they went through a lot of issues growing and creating the second location, the third location, the fourth location, fifth location. Um, There's a lot of ups and downs, I think, with any entrepreneur. And when you're replicating a business, uh, especially where it has a physical outlet Mm -hmm. uh, that you might be relying on on people walking by or driving by, and you have the real estate component, you have the management component, replicating that is extremely difficult. And, um, the franchise or generally through corporate locations and increasing from one to five takes that big leap, refines it. And then looking at a lot of different characteristics, it it might be ready for franchises. Mm -hmm. Um, it might be ready to start franchising. It might not be. There's a lot of characteristics to look at.
1: Right. So what's typically, let's say on average, the minimum investment for a franchise in your experience for an E2 foreign entrepreneur?
0: If their English level is very high, fluent English, um, and they, you know, commit say a hundred, $150,000 of capital Mm -hmm. they spend on the business, uh, that might include the real estate deposit that might include professional fees for the architect, the build out, the permit. Uh, then the, the, and then the business is about to open or near opening, they have a, they should have a very high likelihood of being approved for the E2 visa. Um, we see that when our clients invest more than 200 K, there's no number, but generally when it's above 200 K, it's just a lot, uh, it seems like a lot easier, uh, right, interview right. and process. And the consulate officer asks for a lot less information if there's back and forth, um, so I think the more the client is willing to invest, it makes the process smoother. But every case is different, and if it's going to be a commercial cleaning business, property management, after school tutoring, it might be difficult to invest two hundred thousand. And you know, there's some also times where you could say maybe start a franchise for a hundred k, and then work with the franchisor and go buy uh, contracts, and mm-hmm. it could, you could buy a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars worth of commercial cleaning contracts from an existing uh, commercial cleaning company or an existing property management company. So from day one, you have some revenue, um, but you know it's not gonna be 100K, 120K. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. You're, you're looking at a 200 to $300,000 investment. Right,
1: and for those, for E2s in general, you have to have the investment upfront locked in pretty much to be able to qualify for an E2 visa. So
0: what we've seen, and, and um, there are other immigration attorneys, Uh, we're not an immigration uh, law firm, we're just consultants, advisors. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we've seen is the more committed and the money that's been spent, um, the easier it is and the business should be as close to operational, if not operation as possible. That being said, you know, we've had clients that um, invested in, in property management franchises and you can't get the license until you have the social, the social security number in many States. So it's like the chicken or the egg. Mm-hmm. Um, so the government understands that. And it, you you should demonstrate that you've done every sing, sing, everything possible to open up the business and getting this visa and getting that and passing that real estate exam is the last thing holding you back from opening it. And there's other industries, um, and it really depends state by state. Uh, and that's where the franchisor really comes in because they know the regulations. And working with um, Tony or another attorney, you can understand, okay, for this type of industry, whether it be a regulated industry like healthcare or real estate property management, Uh, you might need a different corporation and maybe it's an LLC where some states require you to have a, a C corp. So there's a lot of Local knowledge that the franchisor, together with a a corporate attorney, is going to going to
1: provide. Right, and so flipping that. Now that you've mentioned the franchisors, great segue. What are the benefits for franchisors for bringing on E two foreign investors or entrepreneurs to be a part of their team? Sure.
0: So for the large franchise groups, it's not. uh, You know, if you look at McDonald's or Burger King. this isn't a good fit for them because they're looking for someone that has us restaurant experience and at times might sign a contract to open up 10 plus locations and invest $5 million. And that's generally not the case with our clients. Right. Um, for those that are looking for a single operator owner operator, that's going to work hard in the business, um, and has the cash to invest this is a very good program for them. Um, most U.S. franchisees uh, use the Small Business Administration Loan Program and the 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 process to get that funding takes more time. And it's an extra burden on the franchisee mm-hmm. that they have debt servicing. Mm-hmm. Our clients, for better or worse, it, it's quite difficult for them to get debt servicing the, to to get a loan to start the business. So they generally come in with cash and enough cash reserves to last, whether it's three months to 24 months. Uh, until the business breaks even in some,
1: but franchises aren't the only type of business that E2 foreign entrepreneurs can invest in to get an E2, right?
0: Definitely. It's not, um, we've seen, uh, also, uh, E2 visa investors, uh, start up their own business. So maybe that's in the the tech space, um, bring a concept from abroad to the United States or buy an existing business, um, we, for better or worse, have to come in after that that existing business failed or the startup failed, and then the E2 Visa uh, entrepreneur is starting from scratch with us, okay. and we'll have to reapply under this new
1: franchise business. Interesting. So you predominantly work with franchises exclusively? For the um, most part.
0: Yeah. Franchises or, or licensed site businesses, we want to see stability. Our, our clients, time over time, prefer a stable business that's going to be around for five to 10 years mm-hmm. than short term profit or having a high exit selling the business. Right. And a, a franchise or a licensed business usually gives that stability. Um, and then if they want to open up a second location, third location, it's easier to replicate.
1: And it also is, Beneficial for them to have that stability because you're a foreign entrepreneur. You're coming into the U.S. It's already there's a lot of apprehension, a lot of emotional baggage that's coming with that automatically, right? You're moving to exactly. a new country, I mean, new you have culture.
0: A, you have a support network of franchisees, right? I know one of our one of our earlier clients. His first client uh, came from a fellow franchisee mm-hmm. that was in the same area, and they've already they met their they were happy with the number of clients they have and it was a referral from a fellow franchisee so um the franchisees depending on the system will also give each other a lot of support and there's all sorts of kind of groups on Facebook right. or LinkedIn right. that they're sharing uh, information on how to run that business
1: all over the United States. Right, right. That's a great point. Okay, so now let's focus on Visa Franchise itself. So shifting back to you as an entrepreneur, what are your three best practices that you've used to engage with your target audience and to grow your business?
0: Um, we like to provide a lot of information, whether that's through through articles that we write, mm-hmm. videos, um, we've done seminars, and then also educating, uh, our clients advisors, whether those are immigration attorneys or wealth managers on, uh, what's out there. And I don't think there's another firm in the U S that has so many resources dedicated to analyzing small businesses. Right. So we like to provide a lot of information on whether it's a specific franchise industry or just what, you know, what to look out for when you're, when you're, uh, forecasting uh, the, the potential profits for for a franchise, giving you the tools and how you go about getting that information from the franchise or from the franchisee, um, it, it has to be done in a, in a special way.
1: Right. In Visa Franchise, you guys pride yourselves on branding yourselves as the leading advisor for identifying and analyzing U.S. businesses for E2 investor visas which is amazing. You've created this niche space in a very crowded marketplace otherwise. So how did you come up with that concept? What was sort of the inception point of that?
0: Definitely. I mean, it really started with these 50 or so prospective clients that um, didn't have an, enough money for the EB5 and mm-hmm. wanted to do the E2 or wanted to move sooner to the US and the end of the E2 and do the EB5 visa in parallel. And um, seeing it where The existing businesses in the space really acted as like a real estate broker where you had the same person doing the sales, doing the research, doing the marketing. They might be part of a larger uh, franchise association. They might be a franchise consultant, part of a larger group. But it was one person kind of doing everything where I I worked at a consulting firm where you had it was um, basically selling uh, emerging markets analytics um, Mm -hmm. to senior executives throughout the world and you had segmented roles. You had people that just did sales. You had people that just did client service. You had people that just did research. And then you had the back office functions of the business. So we kind of molded the Visa franchise model over that uh, past consulting firm that I worked at, where members of our team are very specialized. And you have um, some members of our team that just do research on concepts from 80,000, 200,000 for people that are willing to work 40, 50 hours a week. And they've specialized that space where you also have uh, research on our team that focuses on businesses with a higher investment amount Mm -hmm. where the franchise or can provide more operational support. So we've really segmented our team to really focus on um, specific functions and for them to be the expert in
1: that. Interesting. And when you segment teams like that, how do you ensure that they're all communicating together and sort of speaking the same language, right? Because people become so hyper focused in their silos, so to speak. Yeah. So I think what helps is
0: every Tuesday morning we go through every current client that we have and discuss any, any issues, any opportunities for their case and how it's moving along. How happy are they with us? How happy are they with other advisors, such as the immigration attorney, the corporate attorney, the business plan writer. And collectively we create next steps and do what's best for the client. And, uh, if we want, if we came up, if we just finalize the due diligence on this new franchise and, um, that could be a good fit based on their criteria. We say, okay, you're the client service manager. Maybe we introduce these two new concepts that just came on board. Um, so I I find that's essential. And then we have a very open, uh, dialogue, um, and email chains and then WhatsApp, uh, groups as well.
1: When you're finding out that maybe clients are struggling in a particular area, how do you pivot, especially when you're working with strategic partners like other attorneys? And and I know we've worked together, so maybe I'm doing a little bit of, <laughs> of, a, of self-interested digging here, but how do you adjust when you find out that? The strategic partnership maybe isn't the right fit. Do you go back to that strategic partner and have a similar meeting or do you just say, Hey, maybe we need to look for a new option here. <laughs> so it's delicate. I mean, I think most of the lawyers
0: that, especially most of the lawyers that we work with, we can have a very direct and sincere relationship um, where maybe three years ago we couldn't. And um, you know, back in time it was more common sometimes where, there'd be a less experienced attorney processing e two cases and they weren't reachable by the client and the clients. We've had awkward situations where the client was referred by an attorney and the client's now asking for uh, another attorney. Right. And that puts us in a tough situation where we have to say, Hey, look, sorry, they made the introduction. We can't, we're not going to introduce you to someone else. Right. And we suggest that you voice your concern directly with the attorney. And if there's something that we can help with, uh, let us know. Um, and you have some attorneys that would really appreciate that feedback as maybe a paralegal or more junior attorney was monitoring the case. And the, uh, the message from the end client is not going up the chain of the command. Right. And then you get other attorneys that get on the defensive, um, and really start blaming the client. And I, I see it as it, it's tough. There's few attorneys or few professionals that master the client service aspect and the product. So you could have the best legal work in the world, but if you don't have empathy and you don't understand that this family is uprooting their base and they're investing a large portion right. of their net worth into a franchise, and they don't know the city well, and you can't be responsive or have someone from your team be responsive and and um, and calm their concerns, you know, you, you you could get the visa approved, but they're not going to be referring they friends to you. Right. And then on the other side, you could be an advisor who is always available for the client. always talking, but you're not producing the the results and the, the product uh, that, that is, that's going to pass muster. Right. So it's tough. It, we it's, it's hard, I think in any profession, but especially this where the stakes are so high, a family's moving, uh, they're investing, at, they're investing their money. And, uh, you know, having the client service aspect together with delivering a top product is is huge. Right.
1: And you you hit the nail on the head there. A lot of it just comes down to open communication and empathy. Right. Because these people are completely giving up everything, essentially, to move to the U.S. for this American dream, which, by the way, I think is fascinating to I don't know what you would call us, I guess, uh, generational Americans exactly. from foreign uh, I guess, entrepreneurs that moved here as well. Both of uh, both my parents and your grandparents, I guess. Yeah. Great grandparents. Great grandparents. Yeah. Ireland. So it's really interesting because growing up, I always had that at home, that concept of the American dream, right? You come to this country because it's the land of opportunity and that's how the U.S. is marketed. It's well, you
0: know another interesting thing. Yeah. Um, the advantage of our clients compared to like a typical American franchisee. Some American franchisees are kind of forced into being a business owner. They were a corporate executive right. for, you know, they, they rose up the chain. There was a merger or something with their company and then they got laid off mm-hmm. and they got, they're getting pressured into being an entrepreneur where they had the luxuries, they had two assistants, they had all these means, and now they have to roll up their sleeves and, and get back to work and start from <laughs> zero. And that's hard. We That's really tough. And we see, um, franchises resales where that's oftentimes the case where, our clients generally are business owners. Uh, they know how to take assessed risk. Uh, they don't have a problem rolling up their sleeves and really working hard. Um, we're um, probably the, the percentage is much higher for for our clients in terms of those, those true
1: entrepreneurs. Right. And the stakes are much higher too for that same reason. The right? business fails, you go home. Yeah, exactly.
0: You just moved here. You told all your friends, family you told your father yeah. and mother-in-law it's how on you're opening it's on up facebook, this business it's it's on now. facebook yeah. exactly <laughs> you adjusted your status you gotta you gotta succeed yeah so you know you're gonna find a way how to do it and you know lean on the franchise or lean on exactly. your 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 attorney accountant right to get you through it
1: yeah and if something's not working these e2 foreign entrepreneurs are probably going to be a lot noisier about it right because they're going to go back to that franchise or like you said and say hey my livelihood's on the line exactly. here. This business fails. I got to go back home. This is no joke. We need to make it work. Yeah. So so yeah, ultimately, that's going to be a huge value add to franchisors who are bringing them on. Earlier offline, we were talking about a model that sometimes works where you can have the franchisor be a part of the investment of the E two investor, right? Can you tell us a little bit about how that split usually for sure? Is set up so this works.
0: morning, I, I talked to a franchisor that we're evaluating, and they have a a number of uh, food concepts um, in the in the Northeast, and they are looking to open up more. and They have the operational capacity, but they they would like some support on the strategy side, and then also on on the investment and financial.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so we do have clients that um, generally they have a net worth above two million. Uh, they've already been very successful entrepreneurs in their home country and they need some more flexibility. You know, they're going, they have, might have a business in, in Italy or the UK and they're mm-hmm. going to be going back and forth Okay. and they need a, an ongoing, uh, they need ongoing support in the U S above and beyond what the franchise or typically uh, provides. Um, so what might happen, there could be a consulting agreement where they provide operational support or they could take the franchise or could, could ha- support um, and running it such as a a, a corporate location where they take a, a minority, non-controlling uh stake in the business, where the E2 visa investor has control over the decisions, decisions. Um, and this minority partner, generally the franchise or running as a corporate location, uh, might provide the personal guarantee, a corporate guarantee. So they're on the hook to make sure that this business goes as well, goes right. well uh too. Um, and we found that has worked for the the right type of client.
1: Yeah. A lot more skin in the game from the franchise. There's more incentive for both businesses to to succeed.
0: You know what happened? We, we had some wealthy individuals that they had assets and income coming from abroad. They opened up a franchise. They didn't care about the franchise. It wasn't worth their time to run and it didn't go well. Um, and we learned a lesson that, you know, the, if you're going to be an owner operator, you got to really dedicate 12 to 18 months full time in the business. And there can be exceptions that you hire a general manager, but we, we prefer that. And if not, you got to be up, up front with us and up front with the franchisor and, and jointly we can come up with the solution. And generally there are a select few franchisors that can really support on the operation side and other ones just want to keep fine return fine tuning their business model and support with marketing, and they're not going to provide as much operational support. So that's also kind of a niche that we've, um, we've entered where we, we vet these operators and look for a lot of different competencies and look at their income statements, balance sheets, and we uh, run background checks. So Mm -hmm. it's really important as well.
1: Interesting. Shifting back to Visa Franchise, thank you for that information, though, on the consulting agreement where the franchisor can stay in the mix. But shifting back to Visa Franchise, how have you consistently continued to grow Visa Franchise into markets where you yourself are are an outsider? Because you're an American, you know, you happen to speak Spanish, Portuguese, French, and any other languages I'm missing? (laughs) No, yeah,
0: definitely Portuguese, speak the bass, and then then Spanish and then my learning French. Right. Uh, yeah. In terms of growing, um, yeah. I mean, you guys are huge in China, right? Yeah. A lot of localized knowledge and we work very closely with some of the, the leading, uh, immigration law firms. And, um, that goes a long way in, in terms of learning the different cultures and supporting their clients. And at the end of the day, what we do is identify and analyze businesses and, doesn't matter the language or place where you're coming from. We, we do that where we were much, very much focused on Latin America. And then people started seeking us out from Europe, from Asia. We generally don't just go into a market. It it generally, we receive referrals and and we see that there's an opportunity and then we might further support their, their growth initiatives. But we're in a, a fortunate enough space where we've really dominated the marketplace um, for finding and analyzing these small businesses. So, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: um, we share a lot of information o- online and people usually see, see, seek us out.
1: Essentially the lesson learned from that. I think for anyone that's listening is you, if you're looking to go into a new market where maybe you're not the familiar face or you need to kind of break down those barriers to entry, a good way to do it is to look early on for those referral partners mm-hmm. who they are connect with them first exactly. and create sort of a value add or collaborative strategic on a client case or two. Right.
0: You know, there might be a nationality that doesn't really value your services and they're more used to doing things themselves and they want to look online for everything. And then, you know, they want to do, they want to do more things themselves and That's fine. And we'd rather uh, work on a few cases from that country first before allocating a lot of time and resources to further develop it.
1: That's a great point. So how do you plan for continued growth and expansion for Visa franchise? And I know you have another business that we can talk about a little bit as well. Um,
0: So doubling down on the E2 Visa, uh, we have worked with other Visa types in the past uh, for the right client. Uh, working with the right immigration law firm, we're open to looking working with some of these other visa categories like the EB-5, L-1, EB-1C. But time and time again, I mean, generally the E-2 is a better fit for our clients and the franchises that we work with. Um, that being said, con- just continuing getting the the word out there that we are uh, the dominant player for analyzing these businesses for the E-2, and then also that we know how to find, analyze small businesses the best. Um, and that segments into, um, our portal that we just launched com. which it's not just for foreign nationals, it's for Americans. And we are adding a ton of data that's not available online. And we're putting that online and we're analyzing a lot of f- uh, franchise information. Um, so seeing how units open up, close up, Uh, total unit count, Mm -hmm. royalty, franchise fee, all these data, all this, all the data associated with the franchise through this franchise, through their their franchise disclosure document and compare that to other franchises in that industry, as well as other franchises uh, in general.
1: You're disrupting the game big time. Um, I, I think so. I think there's just
0: (laughs) <laughs> there's just a lot of information that isn't available yet online. Right. And, um, we're gonna put it out there and there will be some franchises that look really good. And there's gonna be a lot of franchises that don't look very good. And, uh, franchisors, we truly believe should make money in the right ways and they shouldn't make most of their money selling franchises. They should be making money off the royalties and providing ongoing support and growing right. with their clients as, If the sales of the franchisees are growing, then their, their income is going to grow as well through royalties. So that's a big part that we look at and, um, going through these disclosure documents that can be anywhere from 200 to 500, uh, page documents. Uh, you can, you can, you can draw a lot of red flags or a lot of things that are also good, um, that you, you are generally surprised
1: and happy about. Right. But a lot of people, I mean, you and I have both worked in franchising now for a little while. A lot of people have been trying to do that, what you're doing with VettedBiz.com. Exactly. VettedBiz.com. So when you're looking to do something like that, you're looking to aggregate all this data from 4,000, 4,500, 5,000 franchise disclosure documents from different franchises around the world. And you're looking to take those data points, break it down into, into this analytical framework. But again, people have been trying to do it and just failing miserably, right? Nobody has done it right, to your point, yet, because the information's not really out there. How do you go about something like that? When you're looking at, you're you're kind of, you know, looking at this, hey, this is uncharted terrain. Many people have tried to climb this mountain, for lack of a better analogy, and failed. How do you come up with a strategy?
0: Myself and the partner, personally, have gone through a lot of these documents. And so before we set up processes for... Um, our data entry and and, and uh, analysis uh, folks, it's really important that we understand the nuances of the FDD and what parts are variable and what parts are not variable and how do you document those variable uh, factors so it me- makes meaningful information. And then there's also other data that we're we're reviewing like the small business loan, the small business. Administration publishes uh, their outstanding loan information and they tie it to each franchise. But that data needs to be cleaned up. Right. Uh, generally the same franchise or has three or four names. We got to go through that, clean up that information uh, before we start analyzing the data. So there's a lot of uh, data cleanup. And, you know, when you come across nuances, noting that, that, Hey, this is, this is uh, inputted this way for that specific region. And, um, And then just having multiple people on our team and then outside of uh, Visa Franchise Embedded Viz also uh, soliciting their feedback.
1: Interesting. Very, very interesting. So, okay. We've got vettedbiz.com. We've got visafranchise.com. Those are two good places to look for you. What are the other ways that people who want to get more information either about an E2 visa, if they're looking to invest in the U S business or a franchisor who's looking to connect with you or any entrepreneur who's looking to sell their business through vettedbiz.com. Yeah. What's the best way to reach out? I think just
0: go through our contact page and then the appropriate member of our team will reach out to you and, um, Always happy to have a free initial consultation and see if we can be of support. And if we can't, hopefully steer you in the right direction.
1: Awesome. Patrick, thank you so much for thanks being on lot, the Tony. show. And thanks for hosting me in Miami. Yeah, of Good excuse Anytime, to come down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks.